This episode of Film Couch includes music and sound effects taken from the film that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there are spoilers, so we advise that you watch the film first. Hello and welcome to Film Couch, episode 6. In this episode, we're talking about Hereditary. I'm Joe, and on the other end of the couch is Nicola. Hello everyone. Let's get into this. King Paimon is one of 72 demons, named in the Ars Goetia. King Paimon is the ninth. The Ars Goetia is one of the five books in the anonymously written mid-17th century grimoire, The Lesser Key of Solomon, which involves the practice of demon conjuration. Paimon is named a great king and one of Lucifer's most loyal and obedient devotees. He's known for riding a camel and for following a procession of demons playing instruments like cymbals and trumpets. Solomon also states that Paimon is the ruler of 200 legions of spirits, most of them angels, and that to summon him, thou must make him some offering. Sounds like fiction, doesn't it? But actually, this is all true, and I say true in air quotes, because it depends on whether or not you believe in this kind of stuff. But um, it's pretty creepy backstory there, isn't it, Nicola? Yeah. And how old is that uh, supposed text? So the Lesser Key of Solomon is from the mid-17th century, so it's, you know, 400 years old. Wow. And um, I have to give credit, um, a lot of... That little monologue at the beginning was from uh, Thrillist.com, which I guess is some kind of entertainment magazine, and the writer was Lindsay Romain. I did throw in a little bit of my own flair in there, but um, something that I actually found while I was looking into this stuff, um, I found a name, Alistair Crowley, or Crowley. Alistair Crowley, huh? Yeah. Um, and he actually did a variant of the Goetic Circle, or Goetic circle, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, and the triangle with magic objects and symbols used in the conjuration of the 72 spirits of the Ars Goetia. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Alista later on. So you, you recognize that name, do you? Um, yeah. He was a, like a pretty controversial figure. Mm-hmm. I think it's he's from like the 1900s. Yeah. But he was, uh, uh, I mean, he's, he's like... Uh, gained a sort of like devout following uh from certain people who are very into that but uh, i didn't know he had texts i mean actually no i wouldn't be surprised if he had texts on on those sort of things that yeah. was that was his deal he created a, a religion but i, I want to put a bit of a, a, a pause on on crowley because i'm going to bring him up later when i come to a, a specific point in mm-hmm. the film all right let me set the scene last night nicola comes over um, I've got whiplash ready because the plan was to do whiplash. And, you know, we, we get talking a little bit and he mentions hereditary. I'd, I hadn't even heard of it. And then he said pretty convincingly, let's just watch hereditary. Let's do hereditary. So we watched it and wow. How was the cheesecake, by the way, that, <laughs> that Mimi made? The cheesecake was, cheesecake was amazing. That It was a perfect companion to a, a great horror film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was nice. I had some earlier. Um, so yeah, we were going to do Whiplash and we ended up doing Hereditary. And, and uh, I was, uh, you know, I have to say, <clears throat> this film, I'm not a big horror film fan. Because mm-hmm. I think with very few exceptions, uh, like The Conjuring is, is a good exception. Um, with very few exceptions, I find them to be extremely predictable. Mm-hmm. And I can... I feel like every time I'm watching a horror film, I can count down from five until, you know, a jump scare comes and it doesn't get me. But wow, this got me several times. And I have never felt so genuinely frightened watching something. 
And I was at points, you know, I'm, I, I remember I was clutching my chest because I was so scared. And so, um, you know, in anticipation of what's going to happen, it truly is a, a horror masterpiece. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, I mean, we mentioned it, uh, I remember I mentioned it a while back, but, uh, I guess we never just got the chance to get together and, 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 and watch the movie. I saw it in, in theaters cause, um, I forgot who recommended it. I mean, it came out in, in, in the U S a lot earlier than it did here. And, uh, again, it was this guy's first movie. So it wasn't like, uh, the, the, the only thing that made me want to watch it were, were the reviews and the fact that I think at that time. A24, which is a production company, it had also uh, released like a couple of uh, very interesting films, not only in horror, but so th that was sort of like a seal of approval. Now A24 has become like a much more prominent uh, like figure in the industry. So pretty much anything you get from them is, you know, like certified quality. But mm. yeah, I, I was, I was knocked out of the park, man. Yeah. Like I, I, I could not remember having a, such a great experience in a horror movie in theaters. Yeah, a long time. I think, I mean, again, it reminds, it takes me to what I said to um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Why aren't people talking about this more? I think it, you know, it makes me think, do you know when like The Shining came out? And I, you know what, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to make this, this reference and I'm going to say that this is like, it should be up there in terms of a horror classic, you know? <laughs> when The Shining came out, people probably didn't maybe, you know, talk about it as much as they yeah. would now they wouldn't give it as much um recognition as people would now mm -hmm. so i hope you know in 20 30 years people are going to look back and and say yeah man hereditary that was that was an experience in the cinema um we're, we're going to talk a bit about the lighting later but i i just want to make a quick reference to it in in a question that i have to you mm -hmm. in the cinema there are, there are certain points with the lighting where things reveal them. They're always in the shot, but they kind of reveal themselves slowly to you. Were there yeah. points in the cinema where different people at different times kind of audibly reacted to the same scene? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. For That's the amazing. majority, it was uh, when, when he's sitting on the, when he wakes up, uh, <clears throat> when the kid wakes up in, in, in his bed and he's, you know, he sits up, and then you have the shot of him, like facing the camera, and you see right behind him that the, I, sorry, no, it's like a lateral shot, like an open shot, mm -hmm. and the lady was always in the corner. But mm -hmm. I guess again, your eyes adjust to the darkness, and uh, again, when that shot began, people were just like watching, but you you waited like five seconds, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, yeah, people started freaking out. Yeah, but at different times, right? So it was like a gasp yeah. over there, and then a couple of seconds later, a gasp over there. Yeah, it took a while. I mean, oh, and and, and cool. again. In, in theaters, it's it's uh, it's much more subtle. For example, mm -hmm. like the the one that scared the living hell out of me was uh, <clears throat> when the when the mom goes back to her. Uh, it's like near the beginning of the movie. She goes back to her like uh, studio. I mean, in in like the second floor, and then she she's looking at a couple of things of her uh, from her mom's in, in like like a box, and then she puts them back there, and then she's like about to exit the studio. <laughs> she turns the light off and then she says mom and then you see you know a dark shot and, and you see like the silhouette of her mom looking at her she turns the light on and there's nothing but yeah. again that was just i guess in, in a tv like the contrast is not as uh strong as it is in a theater so that mm -hmm. that also kind of hit 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 you a little harder i think yeah i think in that particular shot the expectations for the viewer in terms mm -hmm. of things revealing themselves in the dark, which I think allowed them to use that a bit more with a, a little bit more subtlety in the rest of the film. Because I think mm -hmm. in, in that part um, where you see, cause that's the first kind of scary moment, I think in the whole film. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the woman, the old woman is a little bit more, more lit than for example, than you know, uh, in the corner of the room when mm. um, when Annie's in the corner of the room, I think yeah. So I think yeah, they definitely made it more subtle and made it a bit more um, scary in that sense as well. And you know what about the Annie scene where Annie's in the corner of the room? Yeah, I, I watched it back 
and I was wondering, did they, was it, did the shot start with that particular area of the shot slightly um, less exposed and it became more exposed? And actually, I, I'm pretty sure the exposure doesn't change. Ah, okay. Which is, which is even more impressive because they use no like trickery to hide it, you know? It's like your yeah, eyes genuinely have to adjust to the darkness as they would in real life, and that's what makes it so frightening. Yeah. But yeah, we'll talk a bit more about lighting later. Oh. <laughs> when I feel like I'm just going to get really creeped out in the course of this podcast, because every time I remember a scene, it's just horribly scary. <laughs> so you said it's, it's his, first, his first film, Ari Aster. Yeah, um, he uh, <clears throat> he made a couple of short films before, which from from what I understand, like they were pretty. Um, I mean, they got him certain att- uh, amount of attention and things like that. Like as, I guess, as far as a short film can can take you in terms of attention. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, he had like a couple of scripts written down, and and then he just started like uh, I don't know if he already had an agent, but he just started pitching it to a couple of. Uh, of companies and eventually A24 was the one that bought it. Um, but but again, I mean, maybe there, that's like a difference that you see in directors who like cut their teeth making short films because uh, you don't really see like anything like directing wise that would seem like an amateur move. Uh, everything seemed like the guy had a very solid grasp and understanding of how to like visually tell the story. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean the the he. Uh, the, his second film, his sophomore film, came out last year, which was Midsummer, and uh, I was, I was just dying to watch that movie. It came All out right. here like I think like half a year after it came out in the states, and I watched it and I liked it. I really liked it, but I guess I didn't like it as much as Hereditary, and not as much as I thought I would like it. Is it a horror as well? Yeah, it's a horror movie as well. Uh, it's about a like a a couple. Who are having like a rough time in their relationship, uh, especially because one of them has like a family tragedy, and uh, they decide to go to this festival uh, in Sweden, in like this very small rural town in the middle of nowhere. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I guess, tell you more than that, not to spoil you, so you can enjoy it as much as you did with Hereditary. But yeah. Yeah. And you know what, with with that being said, with you saying, you know, you don't want to spoil it and and like say too much. I just want to make a a little point to anyone who is interested in film. I, my best advice is don't read anything at all. Don't even watch the trailers if you, if you can avoid them. Cause for instance, hereditary, um, I had no idea what it was about. I knew, I think you said, you told me it's, it's kind of a horror film. I was like, all right, I'm down no idea who was in it no idea about the plot absolutely no idea and that is what makes a film i think totally enjoyable is if you go in straight away and i think you know if you're listening to this podcast before you watch hereditary you're making a massive mistake you should definitely watch it first yeah um anyway just wanted to kind of voice that so something that i adore about this film is the the shot lengths. And I think this is what really kind of transcends it because I'm pretty sure that most films, maybe horror films tend to have longer shots because it builds that tension. But I don't think mm. I've ever seen a film that has shots as long as this. And I I, I did a, a few checks earlier because I, I, I remember certain moments where I thought that must be over a minute. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like a lot of the shots are over a minute long. Yeah, um, that's that's crazy, and that that takes a lot of skill, particularly mm. I think with the the actors. Yeah, of course. Like the the sustained shot of uh, I think his name is Alex Wolf, yeah, the guy who Peter. plays uh, uh, the son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, again, to me, it's it's more like appreciating uh, like the. The, the very intelligent decision of the director to keep the camera on, on his face while we hear like the mom agonizing you know after realizing that the daughter has just been beheaded 
Yeah. But uh, again, that's a stain shot on the actor. I mean, again, you emphasize, you know, you can emphasize so many things about it, like the performance of the guy who's who, who did a great performance, and then you know, again, the the directorial choice of just keeping it on his face, uh, many things like that. That that was uh, <clears throat> that was very impressive. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of the choices made it um, the shot choices. And the, you know, after when it happens and he's, you know, when his sister gets decapitated by the post. Um, guys, I really hope you watch the film before you listen to this, because if you just heard that, you know, you ruined it all. Um, and you, it, it, it's just on his face. He parks the car, he stops driving, and it's just on his face. And that shot is like a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Um, I think they do put yeah. little little shots in between, but I'm pretty sure that is one continuous uh, long shot. And that, for me, that moment was just an epic moment, really, because you expect, when you're watching it, you expect mm. to be kind of alleviated from the tension at some point. And you're just not yeah. given the the chance to 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 kind of um, recover from that moment. It's like, and I think like the agony of what he's feeling that's really mm -hmm. well portrayed. Because I'm sat there and I'm watching his face and I'm like, how must he feel right now? Okay, all right, I get the idea. Okay, I don't want to be in this moment anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you start suffering with him because it's like, I can't imagine what he's feeling. Yeah, it's it's yeah. great. Yeah, that 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 dynamic. Of, I mean, and again, to me, it's the thing that then it's what impressed me the most about this movie, and 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 like the reason I've been so excited every time like a a decent or good or interesting director, you know, says he's coming out with a horror film, like for example uh, Jordan Peele or or like uh, the guy who's doing the Lighthouse, Robert Eagers, mm -hmm. um, because you you know they're I mean you know they're not gonna do like a they're not going to do a paranormal activity type shit. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to do, you know, your typical horror film, which, I mean, if I, we should just make one podcast about how, like, paranormal activity, like, it brought back the horror genre, like, to, like, medieval times. <laughs> it did so much damage <laughs> to the genre, I think. I would uh, love to do a podcast on that, because I'd love to hear your thoughts about all that. Precisely because of what you mentioned. Uh, I remember you mentioned it, uh, you, you mentioning it yesterday. Uh like when the movie started out, like I, I could sort of tell you, you were, you, you had like this mindset of like, you know, I'm just gonna watch like a typical horror film probably. So, uh, for example, in the scene where the where the mom goes into the studio and and you know you see like uh you see like the shadow of of her mom of the grandma or things like that, like you have this sense that you're gonna get jump scares. Yeah. And you never get jump scares. You don't get that. And uh, th that's because I mean, you you have somebody like Ari Aster who who's who's well aware that people are coming in with a certain type of mindset, but he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to play with the, with the genre, with like people's expectations of the genre, and I'm going to take it somewhere else. And that's what I think he did a, a phenomenal job. And, and I guess besides all that, it's, it's how the movie is actually about grief, about like trauma and how it mm -hmm. handles that using, you know, the like horror as like a, as like a facade, um, Absolutely. I think yeah. that's a really good point. I think the film is totally different to most horror films because a lot of, yeah, like you said, um, it's, it's about grief and it's about loss and it's about trauma and uh, kind of your mental health as things like this happens. I mean, that is touched touched upon a little bit in in a lot of horror films you know where they do where there's mediums and they start to lose their minds and stuff. but I think mm -hmm. particularly in in the case of Peter, the, the sun, you see such an, a well-told story of kind of this fall into absolute trauma. Cause he starts yeah. out, you know, as kind of, you know, this normal teenage kid. And by the end, you know, he's just been messed about so much that he's just so, <gasps> ah, just so messed up. So broken. It's, it it's, yeah, it's it's agony to watch. I've been waiting for this kind of horror film, something that breaks all the conventions, you know? 
Yeah. And I've, I've always thought like, I, I always have this arrogant thought in the back of my head that that's like, if I created a horror film, I'd, I'd just do something completely different. I'd make it totally uncomfortable and unsettling because that's what a horror film should be. Right. Yeah. It shouldn't be exactly, you know, how, how, how many jump scares can I put in? How many times can I catch the viewer? Not ready should be more about yeah how uncomfortable can i make you and how unsettling can i make this experience for you and uncomfortable and unsettling uh yeah that's exactly what this experience was like for me that that's i mean that's something you appreciate i think like uh i i really do go to a horror film i mean eventually yeah i'll go to like you know c c type horror movies just because there's nothing else good in the movie in the theaters and i just want to like uh, have more of like an instructive experience. Be like, okay, how do you not make a movie? Let's go watch this. <laughs> and because I'm bored. <laughs> but w- when I go to watch like a what I would think might be a good horror film, I mean, the idea is that I I want to leave uncomfortable. I I, I want like mm-hmm. my I wanted to mess with my head, and not mm-hmm. in like a sadistic way, not in like you know like gore or anything like that. But I mean, pre- precisely like the good horror movies, you know, deal with. Uh, I guess like the darker topics of like the human condition, and uh, but but they do it you know using the the genre as as a structure, and uh, I mean something like this is perfect and and I think the 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 example you gave in the beginning, which is my favorite horror film of all time, being The Shining. Shining. Yeah, I mean it's precisely that you know again with uh, in this case with like somebody like Jordan Peele who's making a movie about like the. Uh, like the the problem of racism in America, but he uses his, he uses a, uh, like a horror genre again to sort of tell the story. And uh, yeah, it's 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 very impressive when they do that when they can use it as like a medium to tell something much deeper than just you know like a normal or ordinary like ghost or supernatural story. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I want to kind of mention three things that I like little little secret things that you might have missed, but you might not have because you you've seen it twice now, right? Uh, no, that would be, uh, I watched it three times, counting wow, yesterday. okay. So I watched it once yesterday and I've skipped through it like a few times today, uh-huh. finding bits and I've been reading. Um, you know when, uh, her name's Joan or, uh, Joni, right? Yeah. Um, you know when she, uh, yeah, her name's Joan, when she's in the supermarket car park and she, or wherever uh-huh. they are, and she goes up to Annie. Her. Hi. Do you know what's what's what she just bought? Uh, no. What did she buy? Ah, see something you didn't see. When she walks over to a car, <laughs> that you I see a chalkboard in the back of a car, like like she's just bought it. A chalkboard, like a Ouija board. Yeah. Well, you remember what what this is? Is this is showing you? Um, early signs of she's not who she says she is because later on, in fact, like the next scene is where she goes and and does like a seance yeah. with mm-hmm. uh, with Annie, yeah. And she says this chalkboard is from um, this was my grandson's chalkboard or whoever it was, um, and she's making it up because she just bought it. Ah, so that was the one she just bought. Ah, okay. No, I didn't get that. No, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, there. Uh, I don't doubt there are even more things I didn't pick up on. That's pretty cool. I, I mean, he's he's laid a lot of clues throughout the movie. I mean, it's very smart. Yeah. It's uh, the one thing I noticed the second time around, and again, it wasn't just because I noticed it. I, I think I read it somewhere else. Um, when the when the guy is driving with the girl to the party, when when the when Peter's mm-hmm. driving with uh with Charlie to the party. And uh, they pass by the post that eventually decapitates her. And uh, you notice that the post, and this is like as they're going to the house before, you know, the whole incident. As they're going Mm -hmm. and as they pass the post, you notice that there's that symbol that Uh the the cult uses and it's like etched on on the post. Yeah. That's the real King Paimon symbol as well in the real world. Is it really? I I thought they might have made it up it's really from no no it's mm-hmm. oh look at that yeah um I, I i saw that shot again when i was flicking through and the way that the camera follows the car because it's like a typical you know nice car follow shot and it stops mm-hmm. so 
oddly on the on the on the signpost as well on the on the post. Yeah. Um it's it's not like a like a, just a nice pan and slow stop. It's like a whoosh, like a lock. It's mm. really it's unsettling if you watch it again and, and you know what it is. Ah. Okay, so that's one one thing, the chalkboard. Uh the, yeah, the post, the symbol on the post. The symbol pops up in various places as well. Um here's one. Do you know when she knocks over the paintball? Okay. Do you remember that? She knocked it over, right? The yeah, and, and that's how she picks up the piece of paper. Yeah. Do you think she knocked it over? Uh I didn't think about that. Did you watch it again? Does she actually touch yeah. it? Or she doesn't touch it, man. She Dude, if touch you it? watch it again, do you know what's even weirder? What's even creepier? What? She like definitely doesn't touch it. There's like if you watch it again, you can tell it falls all over by itself. And there's a little blue light in the corner, which is is payment. Yeah. Holy sh in the window. Yeah. So he's like, you know, forcing her way, forcing her destiny to pick up the number and Yeah, I remember I remember reading that um like in an interview with the director, because they said, um, like, at what point precisely does uh, do things start, you know, rolling? I mean, when does payment actually get into the house? Or one of the one of the things they deal with, and and one of the things they like briefly reference, like when Peter's in his classroom and they're talking about like this Greek tragedy, and they're talking about like the inevitability of 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 like, I guess, heroes in in Greek tragedy, and it's making like an mm -hmm. obvious reference to the movie. It's. Uh, it's the fact that I mean everything is everything is it, it has a conclusion that it, that it's gonna come to it's inevitable and there's nothing that any of the main characters can do they're just like puppets in a in a play and yeah. uh, I, I think it, it goes back to that idea of the of you know Annie or all the characters I mean they, they they think they might be doing things to stop it but really I mean it's gonna happen regardless there's that whole issue of like free will or not but I I think it's uh, it was really well played out, and it adds to the like unsettling factor of the of the movie. Yeah, and I think the the dollhouse thing that she's creating that's kind of symbolic of that. Like yeah. they're being moved around, you know, they're being controlled. They're the the, the puppetees to the puppeteer. Exactly. So here is another one, and this one I think is a little bit more far fetched, but it fits so well. You know when you see the picture of Pyman in in the book in in, in mm -hmm. a mom's book, he's on a camel. Yeah. Do you notice what's hanging on the side of the camel? Mm, no. What is hanging? Three heads. Three heads. Yeah, like three decapitated heads. And how many people are decapitated in the film? Three, right? Three, yeah. Yeah, Charlie, Annie, and and the mom. Yep. Huh. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. I don't doubt that was intentional. Yeah, that seems very intentional. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's great, man. I love. Like, I feel. <laughs> I felt like a bit of. A, I felt like I was in a horror film earlier when I'm like googling, you know, or oh, King Pyman, <laughs> Ask Oisha, and uh, the Lesser Key of Solomon. <laughs> Find all this weird stuff out. I want to. I want to talk about the the words that we see written on the wall as well. Uh, ah, yeah. like Satoni and those sorts. Yep. So there are three distinct words or phrases written. The first one is Satoni, and do you know what that's a reference to? Or do you know what it is? I thought it just sounded like Satan. Yeah. But uh, is it is it a reference to Satan? Yeah, pretty much. It's um, it seems to be a family surname by origin from long ago, but it's uh, it's used as part of a, a ritual of necromancy. Talking about the real world now, um, mm -hmm. in in like real books that you can find on Amazon, and yeah, it's just something related to Satan. Zazas, do you know what that one is? No. This is going back to Alistair Crowley. Crowley. Oh, uh -huh. Alistair. Yeah, Alistair, sorry. Born in the in the late 19th century, uh, and he was primarily known for his occult writings and teachings, and he founded the mm. religion of Thelema. Uh, and Thelemites strive to ascend to higher states of existence, uniting oneself with higher powers and understanding and embracing one's true will, their ultimate purpose and place in life. So Zazas was just... Um, I think it was. It's it's quite a common demon name, and when you see 
stories of Ouija boards, Zazas mm-hmm. is one of the most common spirits that's summoned. Wow. Um, and I think it's kind of related to uh, Alistair. And then the other one is Liftoch Pandemonium. Any idea? <laughs> yeah, the one, that, the one that sounds like a like a song from like a, from Limp Bizkit or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a hip hop new metal album from the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Liftoch Pandemonium comes from John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is another. <laughs> Go on, Sorry, dude, it just sounds so funny. <laughs> It's just like I can't stop cracking up whenever I hear the, the phrase. Sorry, the go go ahead. Which phrase? Lift out your pandemonium. Let's say seriously, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, sorry, I'm, I'm gonna conjure Paimon uh, inadvertently. So it, it comes from it's it comes from John Mil- John Milton. Yeah, um, Paradise Lost. So it's a, uh-huh. a 17th century book of poems. Uh-huh. Um, and the poem, because it's like a, a book series and it's all one poem, um, mm-hmm. concerns the biblical story of the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve by the fallen angel Satan and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. So pandemonium is the place in this book. And, you know, you've you've heard the word pandemonium before, mm-hmm. um, maybe not in a, a satanic sense, but um, it's the place in the book that Lucifer creates for those who fall from grace with him. It's the capital of hell. Um, Now, liftoch in Hebrew means to open, to unlock, to enable. Oh. Yeah, so it's like open the gates of hell. Yeah, I thought the guy just like, I thought Ari Aster like went to like Wu-Tang Clang's uh, rapper name generator and just put like, (laughs) put his own name and got liftoch pandemonium. (laughs) It does sound like a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at that. Yeah, but, yeah. You can tell cool. the guy did like his research on uh, on uh, things uh, from the occult. <laughs> but yeah, on all things occult. Yeah, and the ending because the ending's so dissonant. You know, mm-hmm. you're following this family and you're in the family's shoes the entire time, and then all of a sudden, there's none of them left. And you get to see the result of that. And it's so eerie. It's so creepy. And it reminds me of, uh, is it called The Witch? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spoiler alert, but people should watch that. I'm not going to say any more on that. that. It ends with the, oh yeah, no, we're not going to spoil it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's kind of similar, right? Yeah, as in sort of like a ritualistic, I guess, to not go further in depth. Yeah. yeah. Was there anything else that you like that kind of stood out to you in this film? I mean, dude, I don't know. So, so much. It's just like sprinkled with so many, so many things that add like eeriness to it. Like the little voices the girl makes <laughs> and how they play with it as well to scare you. Uh, like uh, I remember a part when 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 the mom's driving back after the seance, I think, and she's going back to her house and she's just driving, and then you hear the. Oh. And she turns around. Oh, I literally got chills when you did that. <laughs> but that, that was well made. Dude, just Tony Collette, man. That was phenomenal. She did. I mean, she she followed like a long uh, tradition of actresses giving up. Well, I mean, not long tradition, but I guess uh, what's her name? Uh, the 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 actress who played. Uh, the wife in The Shining, but I mean, just very strong performances by by uh, by women in, in, in horror films. Shelley she, Duvall, she was phenomenal. Shelley Duvall, there you go. Yeah, she's good, and she I've noticed her face cropping up in quite a few horror films uh, recently. And I, you know what, I remember Tony Collette from. I think the very first thing I saw her in. Do you know what that would be? Mm, no. Uh, oh, Little Miss Sunshine? No, it was before that, I think. It's a British film. She's Australian, right? I think? Yeah, yeah, she is. Where do you see her? Um, about a boy. Who is it with? Uh, it's it's Hugh Grant, Tony Collette. Um, it's, uh, she plays like a, a suicidal mom, and it's it's kind of like, it's like a, um, a comedy drama film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she plays... I think she she's really good at playing like 
people in absolute agony and she has the face for it you know yeah ah which reminds me she was also in the sixth sense right she's the mom of the of the kid yeah see she's she's perfect for for horror yeah she's that was well casted yeah and her like her scream face you know her like shocked (gasps) face it's yeah like really scary in itself yeah. yeah, when she plays, uh, like when she switches from one emotion to the other, well, like I think when she, uh-uh. yeah, when the, when the husband is burned alive, she's like, she has this phase as if she's just in pure agony and then just switches back to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when, when Pyman goes in. So there was something that I'm not sure I did fully understand about this when I'm trying to, you know, tie everything together. You know, the mm-hmm. scene where she's, uh, she's got a husband and a son talking about Annie, um, downstairs and she's trying to recreate, um, you know, to make contact with, mm-hmm. uh, with the daughter. Yeah. Uh, with Charlie. Char- Charlie's voice comes out of her. Now, is that just Pyman f***ing with her? because let me let me kind of give a bit of extra on this at the end the very end when i think it's joan that comes up to um now pyman in the body of of uh peter mm-hmm. she says she addresses him as charlie she says charlie you're okay now oh, at the end of the movie okay. yeah it's all right charlie you're all right now. You are Payman. So it's like these, I guess, Charlie and Payman are connected and they can't She does disconnect. say Charlie, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the idea is that, that, Charlie, that Charlie was born, like, as herself and as Payman already. But it just that, and, and Payman did manifest himself, like, through many of the weird, uh, like, ticks and... Uh, uh, just a strange behavior that the girl had, you know. I think it mentions it somewhere in the book that like Paimon loves uh, like sweet things, and that's why she's obsessed mm. with chocolate. And then he, you know, she has this weird uh, tendency to cut and uh, sort of like create like dismembered figures. So it, it's like she already has like Paimon within her. It just uh, it manifests himself. Uh, it manifests itself in like several ways. But it, it's sort of like it's not free enough to be, um, to be completely himself, I guess. If we're talking in like a, in like an '80s sort of like drag queen <laughs> <laughs> sense. But, uh, <laughs> but basically, once like the <clears throat> the idea is, yeah, it's for them to sort of get rid of the girl's body so Paimon can actually leave and find like a proper host. And and I'm guessing yeah after that I mean they still refer to him as Pyman or Charlie. Yeah, so it's like they're kind of in- interconnected. Mm-hmm. It's quite eerie, and then you know that's enhanced by the fact that at the end the kind of um, I don't know what you'd call it the the object of worship for them is um, that weird body with Charlie's head. Yeah, exactly. Creepy stuff. Um. So let me talk, tell you about the single most te- terrifying <laughs> shot. It, well, I, I, do you know what? I can't even say that because now that the others pop into my head, a lot of them are so scary. I'm just gonna. I just want to like name them. Just like get them out there. When she's uh, talking to her to her son, uh, when Anne is mm-hmm. talking to Peter in the bedroom, and they're mm-hmm. kind of you know everything's getting a little bit um, a little bit hysterical, and then all of a sudden she's drenched. <laughs> And it's yeah. still the same oh. dialogue back and forth. That yeah. chills, man. God, that is just so well done, dude. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't know how that would look on paper, like in the script, and how. I mean, that's just something that's very difficult to pull off, especially if you want to like keep a certain rhythm and. Mm. But uh, th- those switches, yeah, they're. they're Whenever I see that, it's just like a like a masterclass unto itself. I think. Yeah, and you, it makes you think, like um, you know, going into the behind the scenes a little bit. Were they doing the scene, 
And then they said, okay, quickly drencher. Guys, don't lose the momentum. Okay, drencher. All right, calm down, get your breath back. Okay, continue. Is it like that? Or do you think they were shot at different times? I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, they probably just do the, I mean, just do the, it's still one scene, but they just do like a shot of her not drenched. And then after that, they, they do it drenched. But I mean, that's, that, 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 that a lot of that credit goes to the actors. I mean, so they can keep the same, yeah. as you said, momentum and, and energy. Yeah. Yeah, that shot. So that part was um, really good. And w what's what's beautiful about shots like that in in you know horror films is there's no gore, there's no um, kind of jump scare. There's there's no deformity or anything that's kind of um, that looks wrong. It's just that really um, sudden change of of conditions that has certain connotations that means oh actually this is what's really happening like it pulls you out and shows you mm -hmm. you know take a step back this is what you're really looking at and it's so yeah sudden Oof. um obviously the other one we talked about is when she's in the corner of the room um but again what is great about this for me is that it's not just a single oh look we scared you moment her following him into the next room as well. Into um into the living room when he finds his, his dad's body. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that whole sequence, dude. And he takes yeah. his time with it. It's not like yeah. uh again, it's not like a typical for horror movie where you you know it's just like scare after scare after scare. He keeps like long steady shots and just of like the kid looking in the hallways and things like that. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then when he turns around, this same sequence and he sees that naked man in, in the doorway. Oh. Bro. <laughs> yeah, that, that. that was the most disturbing thing I think I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> that was strong, dude. Yeah, I remember looking at that. Like, besides thinking, and that guy has a great smile. Because <laughs> <laughs> he has, like, this... Perfect shiny white teeth. Yeah. <laughs> but, but aside from that, I just like, man, this is creepy, dude. The the smile makes it for me. I mean, if it yeah. was just a guy like looking, you know, kind of scowling and it wouldn't have been that creepy. But the fact that he's yeah. just there and he looks like he's smiling for a photo, oof. Something so dissonant about it. Yeah. Um, another one that really, really got me on the edge of my seat, and I just I was terrified when he when um Peter's in the class. He starts hearing the around him, mm -hmm. and then it's it's so slow. I I love how he takes his time with everything. Like you said, he raises his hand, and his hands all you know weird in the air. Peter, Peter, what's wrong? People are like, what, what, what's wrong with you? And then that shot and the camera work on there, it just. Zooms in and like twists, and you see his face, and it's so shocking. That was petrifying to me. I wonder how they did that, honestly. Like, and because that that's like practical effects. I mean, I don't know. They put like scotch tape on the guy's face, and they just pulled like <laughs> really hard. That's why I was. But thinking, I wonder how yeah. they did that to make it look so unnatural. Yeah, yeah. They must have had like I was looking at. I think they had. They probably had some kind of maybe like I don't know if it's a bit far fetched, like green tape pulling his eye mm. like sticking his eyelash to his his uh his brow yeah and then they could like edit that out yeah it must have been something like that because again it, it, it doesn't look like there's any like cgi or anything like that yeah really good um i think there was another moment that had me really on the edge of my seat can you think of another really scary one the one where the mom's just like stuck on the on the door like zero gravity and she's just banging her head <laughs> oh oh yeah yeah oh man that was really scary dude i like i think that alex wolf and tony collette i mean i think probably the the little girl uh the one who plays charlie probably gets a load of credit she did a really yeah, she, an amazing performance for everyone i think but for yeah. me alex wolf even more than tony collette i think alex wolf was like best performance in all of this because i felt total suffering from him when his you know when his mom's trying to get in the attic and she's mm -hmm. banging her head on the door and he's like you know it's, it starts pleading to his mom and it's so yeah. real mommy, mommy. 
was so real. Yeah, he did a great job, dude. I was yeah. like, this is the same guy from Jumanji? Then I just <laughs> like, I'll forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I checked out his IMDb after. I was like, Jumanji, what? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and you know what? The The final shot of the whole film was so beautiful as well. And you know what? I think it was symbolic of going back to the the miniatures, the dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Cause you see like a, this room, which is the, like the uh, tree house, I guess it is mm-hmm. um, from like an out outside perspective as if it was created. And I think it, I think maybe it was a model rather than an actual shot. Do you know what I mean? How, uh, no, how so? Well, I can't, I don't know if it was like something that um, Annie created Mm-hmm. or something that, you know, they just de- decided to shoot it that way just to kind of, you know, be cool and tie into the, the model uh, theme. But that last shot in, in the treehouse when they're all bowing down, very oh, last shot of the film. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it looks like a like it's a dollhouse. Looks like the, yeah. the figures. Mm-hmm. You think that there yeah. might be? I think... I mean, uh, I remember reading like a lot of the, like a lot of the influences of the uh, the director had when making a the movie. There's this movie from 50s, 60s, I think it's called The Night of the Hunter, mm-hmm. which is uh, like the only movie from this from this uh, actor director Charles Lofton, I think. I, f- I forget. He was mostly an actor, but he made one movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he just directed one movie, and like that one movie is considered like a masterpiece. And, and yeah, it's it's great. Uh, there, there's an actor in a movie. Uh, God, why are all these names just <laughs> eluding me? But anyways, there's a, it, it's basically like about this one crazy guy who goes into town and he tries to like uh, kidnap these two young children. And uh, there's a shot in the movie. I believe it's like near the end of the movie because it's kind of like a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like a yeah, sort of like a horror film. There's this one shot that's very similar, and. Uh, <clears throat> If I'm not mistaken, that that movie was like very influenced by like this wave of German cinema that's called like German Expressionism, mm-hmm. and they used like sort of uh, like abstract, uh, I guess, imagery like that. And uh, I think this was sort of like a like a reference to that. But uh, right. even more so, I think it ties into what you say. I mean, there's definitely a, there's he's definitely playing again with the whole theme of you know dollhouses and things like that. Yeah, it's a great shot as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. I loved it. Is is that the last shot, or is the last shot the one that's like a like a close up on the guy's face? Yes, yeah, the very last shot. That's the last shot. I tell you what, when I was um, making notes on this, and I had to kind of scrub through the film, that was terrifying in itself. Because <laughs> you click, <laughs> you know, you're clicking through random moments of the film, and you never know what you're gonna get. Yeah, the imagery is strong, dude. A lot it of those is. those those shots are just. Uh, they have a lot of meaning in themselves. I just want to mention one final um, thing, another scene that I really loved. And I, I don't think it sticks in people's minds as much, but it was really well done. Do you know when, when Peter sat outside uh, in like his school um, outside area um, mm-hmm. and he sees, I think it's Jane who's shouting to him. Uh, and she's ca- yeah. Huh? Yeah, and she's shouting like some kind of. Um, I mean, yeah, the idea is like she's trying to expel uh, like Peter's own like, per I don't know soul or whatever from his own body, so that Satan or so that payment Pyman can enter. Yeah, yeah, and she's she's shouting the the words to him, and she shouts, "Peter, get out!" <laughs> and really good editing here. He, um, you see, like I don't know how they how they communicate this in in simple, you know shot changes but you see his eyes widen for like a split second and then mm-hmm. it's like whoosh, the camera turns and it's looking and it's looking around him peter get out without any dialogue or anything like that and you don't really know peter! what's going on you still get the sense that it's working a little bit you know mm-hmm. like she is taking and he like he feels like oh what's happening to me and he's looking around because 
if that was edited, if it were edited dif- differently, mm. um, that might not be communicated. It might just be, you know, because th- there's this woman shouting at him and then he's looking around. The way that you edit that could mean, oh, he thinks, you know, he's looking around saying, can anyone else see this crazy woman? But mm. the way like his eyes widen for a split second and then it switches and it's a really, really uncomfortable sequence and it shows you, you know, mm. something weird's going on right now to him. I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, you should watch that moment again because it's really good. Hey, this is Joe checking in from the editing room. Um, I actually already finished the podcast. I just really needed to come back and say something. This was Millie Shapiro's first film. She's the actress that plays Charlie. Just let that settle in. She did a fantastic performance. We didn't talk much about her, but, um, you know, her and everyone else, Tony Collette, Alex Wolf, they all did a wonderful job. Uh, so hats off to her. Well done in your first film, Millie. Um, and also, you know, back to Alex Wolf. I think he's going to win an Oscar one day. Cheers. So, yeah. So um, being that we've, uh, we're, we're now devotees of uh, Vary Aster, we're going to make our ne- next podcast on, on Midsummer. Here we go. So we're pushing Whiplash back. We've made the executive decision to... Um, Sorry, uh, Damien Chazelle. <laughs> You're gonna have to wait for your for your film couch podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'll I'll have to I'll have to call him after this and let him know. I'm sure he's uh, <laughs> waiting in anticipation. <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna go on a little little horror spree, and by spree we mean two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening, guys. You can write in any questions you have to filmcouchpodcast at gmail.com. That's filmcouchpodcast at gmail.com. And it's a goodbye from me, Joe, and it's a goodbye from Nicola. Take care, everyone. Uh, just as a quick suggestion, I recommend you, uh, if you haven't, if you've already watched it, uh, well, if you haven't watched it, watch it, please. It's a great movie. And if you've already watched it, uh, watch it again, because I'm, I'm sure that uh, on a second viewing, a lot of things will, uh, will click. Hyman is one of 72 demons named in the arse. <laughs> Just look at your face. This is, I can't, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta be serious. All right. <clears throat> okay. King Pyman is one of 72 demons named in the arse Goetia. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna cover your face up. Hold on. All right. <laughs> I can't cover your Wait. <laughs> No, 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 it's good, it's good. Just don't laugh, just don't laugh, all right? All right, here we go. <clears throat> King Pyman is one of 72 demons named in the... <laughs> you looked... I looked at you. All right, I'm going to cover you up.